If you looked at the sermon title this morning and thought, well, it's not for me, I'll just use my cell phone and check the stock market. No, wait, that's too extreme. If you look at the sermon title and thought, well, I'm not rich, I'll just take a piece of paper and make a shopping. No, wait, that's, that's not it either. If while still at home you pulled out the bulletin and saw the title and said, well, I know worship is more than the sermon, so I'll finish my breakfast and get in my car and go to worship, even though it's sermon is not. The fact of the matter is, we're all rich. I know you don't like to hear that word. I know it sounds extreme. It sounds prideful. It sounds exclusive. Every one of us can point to someone who has more than we have. Everyone can think of a time when we have had, maybe we still have stress and some financial relief would help us move beyond it. Some of us are struggling this very day with very real financial concerns and rich is the last word we would use to associate with ourselves. All true. But it does not take very much effort at all to find persons who have a lot less than we have. I've been to poor parts of the city, poor parts of this state, poor parts of this country, poor parts of this world. I have been to places where television service and cell phones are not considered necessities of life. Places where nourishment, clothing, and shelter are considered what you need. And if you had that, you felt like you had plenty. Johnny Crouch told us Tuesday morning at the men's Bible study that he heard somewhere, if you have spare change in your car, you're among the richest in the world. Now, I don't know if that's because you have a car or because you have spare change, but somehow the combination puts you in elite company. Most of us are rich. I think we need to be honest about that. We're rich relative to the rest of the world and we're rich relative to Jesus' people, the people who followed him first, the people he reached out to. Jesus sought them out and they were drawn to him because he said words to them that were helpful and hopeful and, and comforting. Uh, and sometimes he said words that are very difficult for those of us who are rich to hear. Jesus will step on our toes as he did this morning in the gospel reading that Josh shared. As he did Tuesday morning when in our Bible study, Luke told us that Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. I thought about how far we've gone from that. Dave Ramsey of Financial Peace University, he instructs us to sell our possessions and pay off our debt. It's a good instruction to pay off, sell our possessions and give to our creditors. It, it seems like a big mountain to climb, a huge sacrifice to make to, to start to work down that debt so that we can enjoy life more. And yet look at that instruction compared to Jesus. 
Sell to pay off your debts. Sell to give to the poor. I hope I've said enough to convince you that you are at least rich in relation to the world, rich in relation to Jesus' people. Even if, compared with the people you know, you would not use that term to describe yourself, even if finances are a struggle for you. My experience is that finances are a struggle for people because we are people who compare. We often hear that that the real problem is our inability to deny ourselves, and I think the two go hand in hand. When I was a child, and, and you all might remember this, I would go to Kmart, and it came out to be a great big sign about layaway. That was considered normal then. And for 20 years, the layaway signs disappeared. It's only been in recent years, since the financial crisis, that layaway has returned. That, that some people have been convinced that if you don't have the money to buy it now, and you don't have to have it to live now, it's okay to wait until you have the money to buy the thing you think you want. For too long we've been buying on credit, thinking that was better than buying when we had enough. So yes, there is this character flaw in us that wants instant gratification, that has a hard time denying ourselves, but I think the issue goes deeper than that. I think it's about contentment or our lack thereof. When we are not content with what we have, it's often because we're looking around at what others have. Or it's because we haven't given thanks for what we do have. Paul writes to Timothy, There is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Paul is saying that if we have food, and if we have clothing, then we ought to be content. But we aren't, are we? In fact, sometimes we put on a show. Sometimes we pretend to be rich beyond our riches. We look around and say, I'm not rich because I don't have Fill in with whatever your neighbor has, or your friend has, or your relative has, or that pretty person in the slick magazine has. We want it, and we want it now, but not really because it's so great. We want it now because they have it, and we don't. Our self-worth, our sense of personal satisfaction, of accomplishment, of success are all wrapped up far too much in 
what we think the other has, or in what we think the other thinks about what we have. What the financial challenges of the past five years have revealed is that what we thought others had so easily, they many times didn't have so easy at all. Unsustainable credit has been racked up for even our richest friends. Why? Because we thought contentment would be found in these new and shiny things and in others' approval of our things. I pray that a blessing will come from this period of financial challenge that people will not only know, but will also remember that more stuff does not equal more happiness. That quicker stuff does not equal faster happiness. But that sufficient stuff, needs met, with enough financial cushion to sleep at night, is a great gift. And often, in fact, leads to happiness. If we have enough, then we are rich. Thank God for that. To be able to avoid the pains that come from wrongful pursuit of riches and the stress of wanting to look like something we are not and to have something we can't afford. To be able to avoid all of that is a reason to give thanks. Paul instructed Timothy to avoid these and having avoided them to go after the things of God. He said to him, but as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment without spot and blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the right time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, it is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Paul is claiming something more for Timothy. Something more for us. For those who have been claimed by Christ. He wants a fuller life than the chasing after the wind. What a beautiful witness if Timothy's faith could be more enticed by pursuing righteousness than pursuing worldly wealth. What a statement of faith if, if he who is a follower of Jesus made time to, to stop and enjoy the cool breeze of an autumn day instead of missing the gift by having a relentless chase for the things that seem so necessary today and become dust collectors tomorrow.
Neighbor Ramsey suggests looking around your house for those things that, that once you couldn't live another day without and, and now have a hard time finding, maybe no longer work. Look at those before the next time you go shopping and find yourself in that situation where you just can't go on without that next thing. And, and if you're still there and you still think you need it, and he says, put it down, go home, wait 24 hours, and if you can't live without it, go back, but pay cash. Because you feel the sting a little more if you do. And we've been trained to say, why? Why the added trouble? How miserable? Aren't we supposed to enjoy the blessings we've been giving? Why these added painful steps? We are to enjoy them. But in ways that avoid future pain. We enjoy good things much more when we actually can afford the good things. We enjoy them much more when the Payment doesn't outlast their value. We enjoy them so much more when they are a nice benefit that we can have or go on without. Because we understand that our personal value has nothing to do with whether or not we have that thing. There's nothing wrong with a nice house, a nice car, nice clothing, nice meals, nice furnishings, but we would be sadly mistaken if we thought having nice things made us somehow nicer or better or more valuable to God or others. What Ramsey and I are convinced of is we don't have more joy by having more things or by keeping up with our neighbors but we will have more joy by being more generous. For one thing, generosity indicates that we trust God. That God will continue to provide for us what we need. And that God's love is sufficient for all that we have. There's this other thing. We believe that there is deep satisfaction that comes in joining the resources God has given us with the resources God has given others in order to help more. It feels good to share. As one who is rich, I often cringe when Jesus starts talking about money. So I'm grateful today for how Paul ends today's reading. For once the scriptures have a positive word for us, the rich. There's no judgment in it. No hostility. It's an instruction born of Paul's desire for us to enjoy the fullness of life. Because everyone needs instruction. If you're struggling to make ends meet, you need instruction. If you're struggling to figure out what to do with the little margin you have, you need instruction. And if you are struggling to deal with this abundance that you've been blessed with, you to need instruction. Here it is. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, 
but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are not to be haughty. We are not to mistake these blessings that we have received as something that we have made ourselves. To do so would be to deny the God who gave us the minds and the bodies and the situations that allowed for us to have what we have. If we think we did it alone, we deny those who taught us. We deny those who gave us a foundation. We deny those who have encouraged us. We deny those who have supported us. I would be nothing without the grace of God who gave me wise and healthy parents, who provided for me nutrition and rest when I needed them, who gave me a safe and pleasant environment in which to live where I was not afraid to go outside and play with my friends. I thank God for good teachers and a faithful church where I was reared, for experiences that build confidence and character, for generosity of this church to give me a good salary and good gifts throughout our time with you. The riches that my family and I enjoy are blessings. There is no way that I can say, I did that. We're not to be haughty. And we're not to think of things of this world, including our accounts, as what gives us hope. If we live as though money is our comfort and security, then our hopes rise and fall with the stock market. If God is our comfort and security, though our material wealth may decline, our joy and peace do not have to, and our hope will not. God is constantly with us, even when our dividends are not. So what are we to do? Do good. Be rich in good works, generous, ready to share. Now let me say this plainly, because I don't want to be explaining it to you all one by one throughout the week. If you're in real financial struggle, I don't want the church to be another burden in your life. I don't want you to go without the basics of life for the sake of the church. There are many ways to contribute to the kingdom of God. Financial giving is but one. Please hear that. But for the rest of us, those who are not in a crippling financial situation, don't let the new thing your neighbor has or the shiny thing that's drawn your attention or the membership that seems so enticing become the thing that defines you. Your value has nothing to do with those things. Your value is that you are a beloved child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Your joy will not come in the abundance of stuff. Joy comes through the living into God's will. And God, who has been so very generous to us, asks us to be generous for Him. This is not about the church taking your money. This is about the joy of giving, of living the life that really is life.